Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to take a moment to say thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herc Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our platinum sponsors, including Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. And Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest today is a good friend, uh, Mark Rosenbaum. He's a certified athletic administrator, and he's the director of athletics for the Collier County Public School System, which is in the uh, southwest uh, corner of Florida. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. I appreciate being on here. Well, to our listeners, we're recording this um kind of the first week back to school in Florida in early January. So by the time you hear it, uh, you know, hopefully some of the uh, uh, things we talk about, you know, might have changed in a positive direction, but we're going to go and jump right into it. Uh, Mark, we always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, uh, where you went to school and college, and maybe how your love of sports has led to this career in athletic administration. I'd be glad to. Uh, I'm originally from uh, Maryville, Indiana. It's northwest corner. It's about 25 minutes outside of Chicago, basically. We were the only little part in North in Indiana that would actually be on Chicago time, and everyone else would be on every you know the other time. So uh, that was one thing. And again, growing up in Indiana is a lot different than being here in Florida especially where I'm from. Uh, I went to Purdue University on a wrestling scholarship and received my Bachelor of Arts in Education and earned my master's degree here at FGCU, Florida Gulf Coast University and Ed Leadership. Uh, I graduated uh, in 1994 and I received my first teaching job at Martinsville, Indiana. And that's uh, about 20 minutes from uh, Indiana University in Bloomington. Uh, very different makeup from where I'm from. And, and I'm right outside of Gary, Indiana. Maryville and Gary, Indiana, uh, almost they touch, you know. Uh, so I went out to the country. They call Indiana the country. I, I was in the country. Uh, and I taught there for two years. I was the head wrestling coach. Uh, and um, just a, a physical education teacher there. And I was a strength coach. Uh, from there, my high school coach, wrestling coach, and my mentor, and I know we'll get there later, but uh, we, he, he uh, called me up and says, hey, can you come back to Maryville and teach and coach for us? And so obviously my mentor, I'm 100% in, I said yes. So after two years at Martinsville, I moved back to my home uh, high school, which is a whole different 
experience in itself because uh, I think my teachers who were still, some of them were still there uh, when I was there, you know, it, it's hard to get that uh, colleague sense because they still think you're a student at that school. So that was a, an adaptation that I had to do. But uh, I stayed there for uh, three years. And then I came down to Florida in Venice for my cousin's um, uh, wedding. And I said, what am I doing in, in Northwest Indiana, you know, when there's <laughs> snow and everything. So I decided to put an application in a Gulf Coast uh, High School, which was just opening in 1999. Uh, put in my app, got an interview flew down here and within uh, three weeks I moved my well I moved down first my family came down right afterwards but uh, moved down here because I needed to be at spring football because I'm also a football coach so uh, Naples Florida here I come so I just got in my car and <laughs> off I went uh, and haven't looked back since and it's been the best decision that I think I've ever made so uh, Went from Gulf Coast High School, which just opened, stayed there for five years. I was a wrestling football coach, track coach. Uh, after the five years, a new high school was opening up in my county. It was Palmetto Ridge High School. And so I had the opportunity to become the department head and obviously coach football and uh, track as well as wrestling, my main sport. And uh, so I got to open up that school, which is a great thing. If anyone ever opened up a school, you understand, you start the traditions, you get to start everything from scratch, which is hard, but in a sense, I think it is the greatest thing you can do in a life. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so went, did that for five years. And uh, after that, I moved to, or I didn't move, but I, I applied for the activity coordinator. We're called a activity coordinators here and uh, we're, we're part of the administration. So they're activity coordinators, which means that we're, um, we're not only over athletics, we're over all activities, clubs, everything you can imagine we're over in the school besides the academics and the discipline. So uh, it, it, you know, it's a pretty big job. And I thought uh, I did what I needed to do in my 20 plus years of coaching. So I said, I want to move into the administration side and I want to be able to mentor coaches, coach the coaches. And so I went to Baron Collier High School and, uh, and that was in 2009. Uh, and from 2009 to 2013, I was the activities coordinator there. And then uh, obviously I have my ed leadership degree. So I have my uh, you know, the degree to become part of the curriculum which I wanted to do. I started finding myself, hey, this was great. Now I want to move into being an assistant principal. So I went uh, and interviewed and, and accepted a job at Corkscrew Middle School. And I've been in the county, the same county the whole time I've been in Florida. So I uh, took that job. It was a little different. Um, loved it. You know, you get to see the other end of what the administrators do. So uh, it was, you know, it, it was a, just a bunch of more tools to put in my toolbox for where I'm at actually today. So I spent three years there. And then this position, which has only been occupied by one individual in our county ever. So I'm the second uh, director of athletics that's ever existed. So he decided to retire after 30 some years. And I uh, applied for it and I was accepted into this position. And 
that's where I'm at today. <laughs> so um, just a little bit about my background. Uh, in high school, I uh, was a three-sport athlete, earned 11 letters uh, at Maribel High School, wrestling, football, and baseball. Uh, uh, in college, I was obviously, I was a four-year uh, letter winner at Purdue. Uh, I was academic all Big Ten. I was on the dean's list there. Um, as far as wrestling uh, in high school, I, uh, you know, my sophomore year, I took third in the state, my junior year, second, and then I eventually was a state champion and uh, a high school All-American in wrestling when I was back in 1989. Um, and college, like I said, proceeded and then coaching. So where did my coaching come in? Well, obviously I always wanted to give back because I wouldn't be where I'm at today without the mentors that helped me. And my mentor and like a second father was my wrestling coach that actually got me to start wrestling when I was nine years old. Uh, he was with me the whole time. So I wanted to be in te like they said, well, what do you want to be? You know, I, I wanted to wrestle in college. And I said, oh, I want to be a teacher. I want to be able to make a difference. So that's what field I went into. Uh, you know, and from there, uh, when I graduated, obviously coaching was my, you know, one of my passions. So as a coach, I have coached several sports. Obviously all of us have, when, when you, when you've been in this field this long, you've probably coached multiple sports, but I did football, soccer, track, uh, softball, girls, golf, and of course, wrestling. Uh, I was a head coach in just two of those girls, golf and, uh, wrestling, but as far as my wrestling, co my wrestling career as, or my coaching career in wrestling, uh, started out obviously at uh, Golf Coast down here, uh, Maryville High School it, up north, Martinsville, Maryville, was pretty successful. Came down here in uh, uh, to Golf Coast, and then at Palmetto Ridge. And at Palmetto Ridge, we I did win a state championship uh, for the uh, FHSA. I was coach of the year for the FHSA. Um, I coached 24 state qualifiers, 41 state placers, seven state runner-up, and 13 state champions in my five years at Palmetto Ridge. And that's why I said I think I accomplished everything I wanted to to do. I wanted to give back and and and, and you know uh, be a mentor of uh, of student athletes like that that my coaches did for me. So that's where I'm at there. And that's it. Oh, well, yeah, that's it. Well, no, uh, it's always great to hear these stories. And, uh, you know, you see some commonalities with our guests and also some unique things. Uh, just I knew you had quite the background in wrestling. But, uh, you know, the other stuff, fantastic. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. You're a little bit younger than me. Uh, but the Purdue connection, Purdue certainly has a reputation for cranking out uh, NFL quarterbacks. Who's the quarterback uh, back in your Boilermaker uh, days? It was Hunter, Matt Hunter. And, uh, but Mike Allstott was there when I was there. Okay. Yeah, that's certainly got a... Uh, in afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mike Allstott certainly has you know his Florida connections too. So, no, great stuff. Um, you already mentioned uh, your high school coach as far as one of your mentors. And in our business, you know, we talk about the importance of mentoring and leadership so much. Um, who are a couple other mentors, either, you know, maybe coaches or teachers you had or 
maybe people that you've worked with or worked for, the expression I like to use is, I still hear those voices in my head when I'm talking to a kid or a coach or sometimes even a parent. So whose voice do you still hear? Uh, my, is my high school Tom Cameron, right? He, he was the guy that I always looked up to. Obviously my parents, my parents were like the greatest uh, attributes for my career just because they kind of stayed out and they, and they supported me as long as it was my goals and dreams. Uh, and so that was a blessing, but you know, and I know we're going to get to this before how athletics has changed over the last 20 years. You know, he was a disciplinary for me. If, if I did something wrong, he can discipline me at the, on the spot. So he was kind of like a, my second father figure. You know, if I did great, he would praise me. And if I did wrong, he would discipline me. So he was the, the guy that I looked up to the most. And obviously he was an educator, but he influenced my life the most. Now, here's the sad part of this whole story. When, when I did get there, because I wanted to be mentored by him, you know, everyone wants to be this head coach and everyone wants to do everything right. Uh, when I when I got to Maryville, not more than seven months afterwards, he had a heart attack and passed away. So it put me in a spot that made me grow quickly because I was counting on him on, on every step, uh, you know, to lead me through every path. And uh, it, it was hard. It was like I was lost for a little bit, you know, but I think it made me stronger because like what you said, who do you hear in your head? Every decision I made, what would Coach Cameron do? What would Coach Cameron do? And I think it made me grow a lot quicker than I really wanted to grow as a coach. Uh, but I had a lot of people around me. So it wasn't just one. I had a lot of people around me, you know, just guiding me, making me make my own mistakes because that's the only way we're really going to truly learn from. But he, they just guided me a lot. So besides another John Cook was a, another rep. It was actually my wrestling coach's best friend who coached at our rival school. He actually, even though we were coaching against each other because we're rival, he mentored me. And that's how you know a class act. He didn't care about the wins. He wanted me to mature and grow as a coach. And then, listen, I made a lot of mistakes my first years of coaching. Uh, but he helped me grow to be the coach I was, uh, you know, until I stepped into administration. Uh, Roy Terry, who's actually down here, when I'm my mentor down here, and he coached, he was a head football coach at Moorhead State. He coached everywhere uh, in football, but he was a, he was the principal that hired me and now he's actually our school board president, but he mentored me a lot. When I got down here, I was 28 years old when I moved down here and, you know, you think, you know, everything. And then you get a, a, a wise guy like that, that when I made my mistakes, it's how, how you get taught after you make the mistakes, you know, how, if you're, you're going to get scolded and maybe not listen to what's going on. Or, and I think Roy was, he was so uh, kind and passive that he actually made me realize, you know, the mistakes aren't the end of the world. It's what we do from here and, and guided me into that whole aspect of the team. You know, it's not about how many wins you get. It's not about this. It, it's about what you teach people. And I think he's the one that really drilled home to me on 
look at the biggest picture. The, there's a bigger picture than you think. And uh, so he was a big mentor when it come down to that aspect on, on, on the bigger picture and, and uh, the athletic, the athletic program and whole. So it's not just my sport. Like when I was a wrestling coach, it was just, I only cared about wrestling. That was, that was my thing. When you look at the big picture, like he kept trying to tell me, because one, one year, true story, he took one of my assistant coaches. Now, he was my assistant coach. And he took him and says, you're going to coach basketball for us. And, and so I went in there, you know, blazing like a young kid. And I was like, wait a minute, what are you doing? I've had this on my program. I, to be successful, I need him. He says, you know, and he, he let me just rant and rave. And he said, okay, are you done? <laughs> I said, yeah, he goes, okay, now just listen. I understand your compassion, you know, your, your, your passion about your program. And that's great. That's why you're here. But I have to look at the big picture and what's best for all of our programs. And he said, right now, your program is going in the right direction. I need this individual and this program so we can make them, so we can make that program go. And until then, I didn't really realize that, you know, because you just get so tunnel vision on your own program, but he wanted what's best for everybody. And I think that's, you know, that was a big, that right there, that was a big talking to of, hmm, I get it. The light bulb went off. I get it. And so he was a very big part of mine. And then I had my uh, principal at Baron Kyer High School, Tim Coots, who, uh, kind of navigated me way when you have parent conferences and you have all these conferences in a whole on how to actually conduct them and be professional, you know, to the T on them. And so, you know, he gave me that knowledge on the inside of the administration side of, of the whole. So had many mentors, but those are just few of the ones that stand out. Oh uh, gosh, you know, listening to those, it just uh, took me right back to, you know, myself in those same situations, you know, the young coach, you know, uh, storming into the AD's office. And then, you know, years later as the AD, you know, trying to have that same conversation. Uh, reminds me of that John Wooden quote, you know, it's what you learn after you know it all that uh, sets you down the right path. So, Absolutely. Um, coach, um, you, you talked about it a little bit, you know, the changes that, you know, you know, you and I have seen during our careers, um, you know, I'm wrapping up year 40, you're about year 10 years behind me, but, uh, obviously, you know, you've seen things from all angles, you know, assistant coach, head coach, uh, successful coach, and now, you know, athletic director, um, beyond the technology, obviously, you know, the zoom and the electronic eligibility and things like that. Um, what are some of the changes that you've seen, you know, both good and maybe not so good um, in your time as an athletic administrator? What's changed for um, the day-to-day -day AD? Well, I think it's the communication. I mean, in that kind of, I mean, everything goes to technology. I get it, you know, with, but it's like back when we first started this, you know, profession, you know, you, you had phone trees, you had fax machines, and, and people got information from students actually taking it home to their parents. And if parents had um, any questions, they would, they would call you. Now everything is done to where we don't communicate. Everyone throws things on whatever platform they're using. Uh, I, I, 
obviously that's the biggest. But if you take that out, I think the special specialization of athletes, I think that's the biggest. I know it's an issue in my county because everyone wants to make sure that they, they can be the best at that sport. But I guess I'm still old school. I believe that you should do it all. I, I think injuries, I think we're prone to more injuries because we're doing the same sport so much and you're never getting a rest from it. You know, specifically in baseball, because I was part of baseball programs too. You get more Tommy John surgeries and all that. We didn't have that back then. I'm not saying it didn't exist. It doesn't exist like it does today. And it's, you know, it's because you're, you're pitching 60, 70 games a year now instead of just maybe pitching 12 or 15 because you're doing it year round. Uh, I, I believe you'll be a better athlete in any sport is if you put yourself out there and do multiple sports because you learn stuff from every different sport. You know, I mean, wrestling and, and football, since, you know, I, I can talk about that. There's such a big correlation there. And I'm not saying you're going to be a great wrestler because you're a great football player, or if you're a great wrestler, you're going to be a great football player. Cause that's only time will tell on that. But because of the similarity in the sports, there's a, a high correlation that's going to make you successful. So I believe that you should do both of those because other coaches are going to teach you different techniques or they're going to teach you different things, even life lessons. That's going to make you a well-rounded athlete. So I, I think that is a big difference from back when I was, you know, in the last 20 years, because kids are just one sport, one sport. This is what we're doing. Um, you know, that to me, that's, that's the biggest thing outside of the, the technology. The technology thing is, is crazy and, and it, keeps us up at night because we wonder tomorrow what's going to be in the paper, what's going to be on someone's Twitter account that might uh, tarnish our, you know, our school's athletic department. I, I mean, there's no question that compared to when we were in school, um, the specialization, I'm hoping that the pendulum is starting to swing back in the other direction. Um, you know, we have uh, a lot of three sport, two sport athletes at our school and, uh, yeah, they find that, and I'm sure it's the same at your school, too, the ones that do it, they find that uh, they're feeling refreshed, that they are in better shape, and, hey, they're having more fun, okay? You know, they're not just going to practice for 10 months. Uh, they're getting, you know, playing other games. So, and just, as you know, competing, especially wrestling. I was a basketball guy, but... Uh, we had a very successful wrestling program. Our head football coach was the wrestling coach. And you know, we always talked about competing. Uh, and you just can't find that, you know, in the, you know, the neighborhood uh, club sports. Um, you mentioned, to go, along, go ahead. To go along with that on, on the huge difference, just the position itself has changed. I, I think the AD position, you know, now you're basically a business leader. You're an educator, you're a coach, you're a psychologist, you're, you're a fundraiser specialist, you're a sports medicine expert. I mean, you're a human resource. Everything you can imagine now is bundled into probably one of the most underappreciated positions that we have in schools, unfortunately. And, and that's what that's why I'm trying to make the change here in my position now is to make everybody understand how much 
an athletic director or activities coordinator actually does in a school and how much, uh, how much influence they have over our student athletes. And you left in that list of uh, things that we do every day, you left off uh, public relations. You know, uh, I, uh, I, I've told this a number of times, you know, my mom and dad were like your parents, very supportive of, you know, my athletic career, as long as they did good and great. Uh, but I don't think they would have recognized uh, my head football coach, my head basketball coach, um, if they passed each other on the street and, and you know, vice versa. Uh, and now, you know, we, we need to, you know, uh, and it's a good thing, I guess, but we need to know, you know, who the parents are. We need to be able to have those conversations with them. So, uh, just one more thing on the, the daily list of duties. No, I, I understand. Like I said, I mean, uh, every, you know, I mean, back then you still, you know, schedule the events, our normal stuff. That's what my AD did back when I was in high school. And, you know, like I said, I was a, an athletic aide for him as well. So I knew a lot of stuff that he did, but just the, the demands that are expected today of our, you know, athletic directors, and there's a high turnaround. I mean, you can only 60 to 70 hours, you get burned out after event, you know, eventually so much time. And, and that's why we have created assistant athletic directors here. It's because I think as, as time, you know, moves forward, I think the top people in our organizations are us are starting to understand it because of us and us getting out there and, and educating everybody else, like going through the ranks and then actually getting into a position where you can sit down with the superintendent. You can sit down with all these people that make these big decisions and get it out there and say, listen, this job is bigger than anyone thinks. You know, just because it doesn't count as a school grade, <laughs> you know, which is our big focus now is, okay, what, what, you know, our graduation rate, which I'm not saying is not important. It's very important, but you know, the, I'm glad I'm where I'm at to try to make a difference for, you know, years down the road when it comes down to athletics. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and outside of academics, no other program touches more students than the athletic program. So, yeah, those principals and superintendents, you know, we're the ones uh, keeping things off of their desk. That relates to that group of kids and parents. And our superintendent does say it's the number one dropout program that we have in our school system oh, without question okay mark one of the things that we've tried to do with the podcast is to um, share what um, in our profession we call best practices now you've been at a number of schools um as an again as an assistant as an ad and now as a district ad so i'm going to put you on the spot you know what's one or two things that um, you have seen at your schools or even schools in your area that you would, you know, humbly brag on, boy, we do this better than anybody. We do this better than anybody in the state. Well, um, again, I don't know if we do it better than anybody in the state, but I do think we, we do a lot of things right here. And I, and I think the reason why we do it is because our district leaders believe now they're administrators and that's why they're called activity coordinators. So they get a bigger, uh, bigger rope, you know, to, to do things. Uh, we have many demands like, and you're doing it with, with uh, 
our professional development academy too. I mean, I try and I think we, I do a lot of professional development for our, our activity coordinators and in many different areas, you know, uh, even, even I even bring in some Marzano stuff to make sure that they're getting educated on a different spectrum. So I, I think we do that very well. Um, I think I walked the walk, which makes them walk the walk and be become better leaders. I, I think, you know, weekly, uh, now we have, you know, WebEx calls, but, you know, every week that that's it that's what i have to do i mean my leaders down you know that that, that direct me expect me to be doing my job 100 percent of the time so i think expectations from our district helps out on 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 best practices now for example like we know that there's a shortage of officials 100 percent. everybody knows it so what, what do you do about it? Well, two years ago, I knew this. So when I did get this job, I went to my uh, powers to be. And we developed an officiating class and got the stamp of approval from the top down. And we have we have like a, uh, a very good relationship with Genoa, our officials association. And they are, they come in and do guest speaking and everything. And we actually are, promoting and and bringing officials to our county so we do not have to have where we have to move games and all that i think that's one thing that i can brag on that we have done phenomenal because we've never had to move a game and again i'm over 10 middle schools and eight high schools we, we have a great working relationship with our officials association they have plenty and they and their their motto is to promote and recruit and so, the, you know, that's one of the programs I think we do better. And I don't know all the programs out there, but I'm just telling you, that's one of the ones I believe that we're, we're in the forefront. We also have internships for our activity coordinators now that I developed last year. And it's a paid internship through our, intern, our entrepreneurship uh, department. So that helps out now on, you know, some of our older activity coordinators are not tech savvy but who's more tech savvy than our, our our you know our students so not that they get to put anything out there but they are mentoring our activity coordinators on the new technology which i think is great for us uh, i believe our communications department uh it, it promotes athletics uh probably to the highest, like more than any, like my district in Indiana, but that, you know, that was a long time ago, but I think they put athletics on the forefront to where that gets out there. And so everyone gets excited about athletics. Um, you know, coaches council, we have a coaches council to where, uh, you know, some of some, some school now have a, a student athlete council to where they find out problems. So I have a coaches council because I want to know what we can do to make their lives easier. We know that it's not the pay. You, know, you, you average it out, you make about 13, 14 cents an hour by coaching. So they're there to, they're there for the right reasons. So I, I try to uh, make sure that any hoop that they have to jump through that's gonna that's gonna cause them to get frustrated. I want to stop that. So uh, have a coaches council. And we talk about many things on how to make sure 
that coaches are treated right and that, you know, parents are kept in check. And I think that's something we do really well here. Oh, I, I think anything that uh, is directly tied to, you know, communication, as we've talked about communicating with our stakeholders, our kids, our families, our coaches, uh, and again, presents the school in a positive light uh, is going to reap big rewards. Um, you know, your uh, um, internship program, I, I think, is you know wonderful. I, I think on both ends, you know, helping those, uh, you know, old uh, 80s like me uh, <laughs> learn a few new tricks. And hopefully, you know, taking that younger person and exposing them to a little bit of uh, experience and, and life lessons, it's going to help them down the road when they're sitting in that same chair. So very cool. Another question we've been talking about uh, with our interviews um, has to do with COVID. And uh, again, we're recording this in January. Uh, for those of you who have been listening, you know that Florida has been uh, one of the states that's pretty much uh, been back at full speed. There were some some pockets in our state that got a little bit later start. But Mark, uh, as of today, uh, share with our listeners, you know, what's going on with Collier County, uh, not just as far as return to play, but also uh, with academics return to school. Uh, what's going on? Okay, so our county, uh, obviously the Department of Health kind of runs what we can and cannot do and gives us kind of stipulations for our school system since we're one of those public entities and we are the largest uh we're the largest uh population or the business in collier county so there's no other business that has more employees than our school system uh so we work hand in hand weekly phone calls with our department of health and uh you know besides developing our uh return to play uh, we obviously, the governor's orders, we did open up our campuses, you know, and we started with, uh, you know, uh, six, 40% in school, 60% out of schools. Cause we, you know, you had to do the online version, uh, as, as more time passed, you know, and we didn't allow you to opt out. Like if you opted out, you didn't get to come back and tell us the, the quarter. And then you can come into the, our brick and mortar, we call it. So we have had now we're about 80%, 20%. Uh, so it, it's trending in the right direction because what we have found out is that a lot of our students online academically were falling. Their grades were declining. So, I, you know, it's very important to their emotional side as well as getting into school. So, you know, our school system bought masks, uh, the uh, uh, the pull-up ones, the, the fishing, whatever they're called, bought the mask, bought, bought two masks for every student. And remember, we have 50,000 students. Uh, bought the uh, the buffs. Uh, we. <laughs> You know, every place you look, you have sanitizer. I mean, did everything we possibly can to make sure that there's a safe environment, our number one goal. And, uh, you know, COVID makes you think that it made us think a lot outside the box on how we're going to do this, you know, how we're going to social distance, how we're going to maneuver our classrooms. Testing right now, which our finals are uh, next week, 
is 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 unique because we have to bring the students from out that are online right now into our schools as well to test. So we're, we're right now they're you know they're brainstorming every possible way how we're going to get everybody because now you can't put the desks right next to each other. You have to you know you have to have six feet apart and and the space you don't have rooms in school and our schools and our gyms every one of our gyms are double gyms so we have huge facilities and it's we're having a hard time to adapt to that uh lunches you know we have one lunch hour we always have one lunch hour because we have these huge courtyards and huge schools but now we have three you know we, we've had to adjust everything to make sure that we can uh, you know have our students in the healthiest atmosphere they can uh, but COVID has been a mental strain on teachers, coaches, athletic director, every person in our system it has affected. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know where we go from here. Is there going to, you know, what we're thinking now, there's going to be another big spike, right? Because everybody gathered for uh, Christmas or the winter break, and now they're going to come. So in the next couple weeks, we're going to, we're anticipating to see a big spike, which that shuts down programs. Sometimes it shuts down schools. Sometimes it shuts down classrooms. So, you know, COVID can't go away fast enough, in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, I know you, you know, if you're like most Florida schools, you know, you've already finished fall and winter is, you know, you're well into winter sports, which for Florida is uh, basketball, soccer, and wrestling. Uh, primarily. Um, how did the fall sports go with uh, your fans? Did you uh, have a certain percentage? You know, was that well received? Uh, any challenges from a sports standpoint? Well, here's how it started off, which I guess it, it makes it a little easier. So our Department of Health said no fans right off the bat. So we were one of the first ones to come out and say no fans. And then and that sparked, and it wasn't my decision, but everyone thinks it's my decision, right? So, because ESPN radio tried to get an interview with me because while I'm out of my mind for not allowing any fans into the arena. So that, that was a funny, but, but, but real thing that was out there. Uh, but our department of health in the beginning said, we're not going to have any fans. And then they, you know, because our numbers were pretty high, Kyra County's numbers were pretty high. So then they came out and said, you can have the home school can have two household members. You had to be in that household to come to the game. So every uh, student athlete received two tickets. And at that time, we cheerleading was not even going to exist because the Department of Health said it's not essential to the game at this point in time. So from, from that August 31st or whatever, when they came out with it to our first home game, we went with no fans to having a few fans. And then as the season progressed, we allowed the, because uh, we have huge bands. I mean, when I say huge bands, our average band here is 200 plus. So we can't, not have the cheerleaders, the football players, or our band members. So that's why we were limited to just home. They gave us, when our stadiums fit about 3,500 normally. Uh, but when you take six feet, 
two dots because now it's two per household and then six feet in all directions, that number goes down <laughs> drastically. So we can only fit in our stadiums, our band members at six feet, which took over the whole visitor side plus portable ones that we have on hand. And then our home side, obviously just the football players itself. So we were limited to two tickets per athlete, per home athlete. Uh, and then obviously two tickets for the band members, parents, and two tickets for the cheerleaders. And, and that was it. So that's how our fall went. Uh, basketball now, you know, and volleyball went the same way. But volleyball, we allowed two tickets per, you know, because there's only 15 on a team. So we allowed two tickets per family household per team. So, you know, basically you had 60 people in the gym. And our gyms, like I said, are, are huge. But that was it. That was what the Department of Health, you know, wanted us to do. They made us put a fan in, too, to blow around and circulate the air. How, however they wanted us to do it, we followed the guidance of, of our Department of Health. Now for basketball, we're continuing with, you know, two household members per athlete for basketball. So we're still at its exact same protocols as volleyball. Uh, soccer, we don't have many issues about not letting people in because obviously I wish soccer was more, you know, uh, more attended, but it's not. So really it hasn't affected soccer except for the six feet on the sidelines staying apart and all the sanitation, you know, that's going on. Um, wrestling, we are, if you have a dual meet, it's, it's going to be treated exactly like, um, uh, volleyball and basketball, you can have two people, but if, if it's a dual meet, if you have more than three teams, no fans. Now, all of our gyms are equipped with, uh, the, uh, national federation streaming now. So we did get cameras in every one of our gyms and every one of our stadiums so they can still watch it. But if they choose to have a tournament, we can't have that many, uh, student athletes in the gyms with parents and be safe. So, you know, that's where we're at today. Uh, things change weekly. You know, I mean, we all know that, but things change weekly on the Department of Health. If we get another spike, we might, they might take away fans from us. But that, that's where we've been. We haven't been, we don't sell them online. They, they get it. They get a check. You know, you get checked off at the gate when you show your ID. So that's where we're at in our county right now. Yeah, that's uh, uh, probably one of the more, you know, restrictive uh, plans. But again, you know, everybody, they do what is best for their school, for their situation. Um, quick uh, question. You mentioned the streaming. Uh, is that with the Pixelot, the uh, NFHS program? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we have that on our um, main field outdoors for football, soccer, and lacrosse. Football does their own stuff with huddle. Uh, but uh, we did the uh, the huddle focus camera in our gyms, yeah, but both seem to be working very well. You know, great service for our uh, for our parents and our fans. Um, Mark, um, next area is you know a little, little more serious. Um, we've been talking to athletic directors on the topic of social awareness or you know social justice, if you will. Uh, you and I were talking very briefly before we started recording. Here's my question. What are some things that we can do 
uh, as athletic administrators, what are some things that we can do better uh, in this area of, of social awareness? How can we better serve our kids, our families, our program? Um, well, I think so, besides the social awareness, I think a lot of current issues in, in our high schools right now are recruiting qualified coaches. You know, if you get good people that are going to mentor our students, they're going to set, they're, they're going to put, you know, they're going to, they're going to have them disciplined. They're going to have them just better people. Uh, and it's hard. And it, and it goes back to what I said before. I believe it's because of all the hoops we make them jump through at this point in time and how underappreciated coaches are. They're not out there. They're given their time basically, you know, for very, very little pay. And, um, uh, Unfortunately, you know, the few bad apples, the few bad parents that we have, we spend 90% of our time with them. And I think it takes away from everything else. So, you know, my job is to do everything I can for my activity coordinators, which their job is to do everything they can for their coaches. So it, stop, it starts with me on how I, you know, how it rolls downhill. Um, you know, you said, you know, earlier about I, I make sure our activity coordinators have everything that they have to be successful. And a lot of it is educating them on, you know, how to hire, who to look for, how, how, how to recruit. Uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes there's only one person applying for the job. And it's either that coach or no coach. And, and in those situations, that's when we have a mentorship <laughs> to make sure because there's always society rules and then there's school rules. Because when you're a club coach and you're whatever outside the school system, you think you can do all this stuff where you're, you're, you're tied up in a school system because it's different rules. And those are the big things I see on you know, people bring in their, their beliefs on win at all costs, and that's all that matters, to we're developing and mentoring uh, student athletes for the future. And I think we do a good job of, of talking through it with our, on our conference calls and everything. I think we do a good job at making sure we're putting the, the right people in the right spots on the bus. And, uh, that, you know, that's one of them that I think is a challenge right now that we're having. Uh, managing those enthusiastic parents. <laughs> that's, you know, that, that's where it's, that's where it starts. It's, it's trying to get a grip on them from the get-go. And, and I always tell them, like, I used to have a pamphlet at uh, my, when I was AD at Baron Collier that said, what you can talk to the coach about and what you can't talk to the coach about because you know they're not just going to get in a firing squad put in a room and let you degrade a coach now if it's playing time that's their decision we hire them for them come talk to me about it I, you know i hired this coach to make those decisions you know but i i think you know that has become a challenge for for some good coaches that's been in our systems for a while that just said, it's too much. I'm done. 
the parents are too brutal. And it's not a lot of them. So I, I don't want to say our parents, you know, we have bad people because it's not. It's that 1% that takes up 90% of our time because we're dealing with that 1%. Uh, economically right now, our school, we're an affluent area, Naples, Florida. Our school system is hurting, which means our athletic programs are hurting. We limited their attendance, which you know, and everybody knows, the school doesn't give you money for your athletic program. Your gates give you money for your athletic program. And the economic part right now is, is real. And it's real for us. And, and, and again, I knock on wood and, and I'm blessed to be in an area where, where there's wealth. Um, our schools are hurting. I can't imagine other school systems, but I'm telling you, when ours is hurting, I know that other people's are hurting right now. And, and we have conversations every week about, um, you know, where's the money come from? When, when, what are we cutting? What are we doing? Are we not going to have JV programs, you know, and, and our superintendent is pro sports. So she has helped in different unique ways, but the longer this goes on, I'm worried more about next year because these are the funds. Usually you make it from the year before and then you're going to, that's going to be your budget for the following year. Now, the budget's not there. It's gone. You spent everything. What are you going to do for next year? So right now I'm in the process of figuring that out. Our, our county is going to say, okay, wh what are we going to do? What's this going to look like here in another couple months? So those are some, you know, um, we talked about the specialization. I think that's a problem, you know, for, for all of our uh, sports right now. Um, and finding good, I mean, obviously it's hard to find coaches and finding good volunteers and coach, you know, that, that people are going to be mentoring our students. Um, I think right now, obviously the other day with the Capitol and, and, and all the stuff that's going on right now, the most important thing to me is, is our, our, our student athletes mindset, their health, their well-being, and, and I think that's that's one of our our problems that how are we going to deal with all this and how are they dealing with it because now some of them are at home they're not going to get they don't get to that uh that gatherings and the support from all their others mental health is is real and we're experiencing it here so you know how we're dealing with it you know we have programs but Right now we can't we can't get our hands on them because they're not all in school yet. So that that's where I feel our big issues are right now. You know, and again, Mark, I really appreciate you sharing your heart on those. Uh, you mentioned um, you know something that really stuck out for me. You know, making sure that you're getting the right people in there to coach because you know those coaches are those leaders, those mentors. You know, the famous Billy Graham quote. You know, coach will impact you know, more people in a year than most people will in a lifetime. Um, I'm curious, at my school, and again, you know, my school is more an independent school, we're smaller, uh, but we are very, very blessed with our upper administration. They see the value in having teacher coaches. And almost every single one of my varsity head coaches, and we have a ton of sports, uh, either teaches or works full-time on our campus you know we've got some community coaches and, and we have some great ones but 
uh, how, what's your ratio for your schools? And do you feel, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but you know, do you feel that there's a support within your district to hire teacher coaches? So right now, middle school wise, we're probably 90% teachers, which is phenomenal. I would say our high school, without actually looking at the numbers from every school in front of me, I would say we're probably 60-40, which we have a huge amount of lay coaches out there. And because the they at one time, let's just talk about 10 years ago, I would say our numbers in our county would have been 80-20. Because of the lack of funds that you get paid for coaching and what is entitled in the beratedness that they're getting at this point in time, it's not worth it. They're not leaving their teaching jobs. They're just leaving coaching because they're getting their majority of their salaries for teaching and that's their number one job. Why would they want to put themselves at this point in time in that position? So, Yes, I think our county definitely thinks that if you're a good coach, you're a good teacher. If you're a good teacher, you can be a good coach. I think those hand, hand in hand. And yes, if you have more on your resume, we're going to hire those people. But you know right now we have teaching shortages. We have coaching shortages. So we, we try, but we can't make somebody coach. Right. So the priority is there. It's just right now, because of all the negative press on some the the 1% of, of parents that actually make this, you know, an issue, it, that's unfortunately what they see. And it's just not worth it for them. And I'm trying to change that. Like I said, this is my third year in this position. And uh, that's one of my challenges. Now, how I'm going, you know, in three years, let's talk and, and I can tell you how it went, what I did wrong, <laughs> what direction I'm going now. But yes, all our principals at our high schools definitely would do the student teach or the, the coach teacher type deal when there's a need. Yeah, that's great to hear. And, and hopefully, again, I, I mentioned the idea of a pendulum, but uh, hopefully that pendulum swinging back the other way. I think you were kind of like me when you got out of college. No, hey. You know, I want to teach. I want to coach. Where do I go? You know, oh, I got to coach four sports at the junior high. That's fine. Sign me up. Okay. <laughs> you know, now uh, I I interviewed a kid a couple of uh, years ago uh, from our local university, and it was, uh, you know, what do you mean middle school? You know, I, I'm a varsity assistant. Uh, and I go. <laughs> Everybody's an expert. You know, and again, I hate to, uh, I hate, I hate to. Uh, stereotype different eras you know the millennials or whatever you want to talk about but it's a me now society type deal it's like well what, what am i getting instead of me i i wanted to give that's all i wanted to do is i wanted to what what i experienced in life i want to do that to somebody else and uh unfortunately you know now pay for teaching is is you know obviously we we just got that pay raise that the governor put in there for first year teachers and we're get, get some people interested in it, but it, you know, at, 
right now every district probably is not filled with uh, certified teachers at this point in time. Yeah, like we said, maybe that pendulum is going to swing. We'll see what happens. You know, Mark, it's been great getting to know you these last couple of months uh, with FIAAA. I didn't mention that Mark's also on our board of directors, so uh, uh, get to see him. We actually have a board meeting coming up next week, yep. but uh, we're not quite done today. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. We've already established that you're a veteran AD, very successful athletic director, but right now I'm going to task you. Uh, you're going to send one of those uh, interns out on their very first job as an AD, but I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. What three items are going to go in Mark Rosenbaum's athletic director toolbox? Well, most people would say probably rules, procedures, responsibilities of the job, making sure you know those. I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a different direction. Limit your time with the grumblers and complainers. To me, that would be the number one thing because I don't want you to get a bad taste in your mouth right off the bat. There's 90%, 95% think everything's great. And the 5% that don't, don't spend all your time on there because it'll just make, it'll just frustrate you. Uh, manage all meetings. Do not go in there without a plan or without uh, a you know, set rules because it will get out of hand quickly and you're never going to get it back. And first impressions are everything on, on that managing the meeting. And to me, what was very successful for me and what my coaches and I believe they followed me uh, is the chain of command. I really believed it. So when a parent had an issue with a coach, they did not come to me first. They tried. And I would say, I'm not talking to you until you have a meeting with the coach. Now, if it does not get resolved, then we'll have a meeting with all of us. I said, but you're not going to jump that chain of command. Uh, and, and the coaches understood that. And, and when I was at Baron Cotter High School, you know, just to toot a little bit, is that we won, when I was there five years, we've won the Sunshine State Conference or the Sunshine State Award twice when I was there. And I, it wasn't because of me. It was because I had great coaches doing what they were supposed to do. Because all of our programs, when, when you played Baron Collier, you knew you were going to be in a dogfight no matter what program we had because they're well-disciplined and they know the game and they're good people. That's, that chain of command was so huge for me because the AD before me, did not do that. And I remember when I, when one of my ADs sided with a parent before even talking to me or listened to the parent, how frustrated I was, and it's not going to make me want to run through a wall for you. So that was a big deal that the, the chain of command. So I would go with those three. And obviously you got to listen. Well, I've thrown that forth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and again, it's funny how they all kind of relate to this overall idea of communication and, you know, doing the right thing by your coaches. You know, great stuff. Mark, thanks so much for sharing. Uh, continued success uh, down there in uh, 
Collier County, Naples area. And uh, I guess I can say I'll see you next week in Orlando. Absolutely. And I appreciate everything that you're doing for our state with uh, athletic administrators. Oh, uh, well, well, thank you. That's why I'm still continuing to grow. Listen, I, I want to get my CMAA soon. I'll talk to you about the project, you know, at a different time. But uh, I appreciate what you do. And obviously, these podcasts are awesome. So I'm going to, that might be something that I start my, I might start doing for my own county at this point in time. Yeah, I did that little workshop for uh, NIAAA on starting a podcast for your school or your school district. To our listeners, uh, remember that these uh, Zoom interviews are being posted on the FIAAA Educational Athletic Director YouTube channel. Uh, and until next time, uh, thanks for listening. Come back again for another episode of the Educational AD.